Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Top tech companies like Intel have a secret to their success. They get the best talent, reliable infrastructure, and save on costs by expanding in Ohio, the new Silicon Heartland. Learn how your business can succeed in Ohio. Visit successinohio.com. Welcome back to the Goldmine Podcast. This is Patrick Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine. And this the guest for this episode will be Michael Dean, owner of Rock Expo. Now, Michael, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Can you please explain how you got started in the music business? Well, I got started in the music business as a ticket broker back in the 70s. So I was selling concert tickets back at the old Chicago stadium. When I was selling the concert tickets, I had all the connections to get backstage and all the different people that were stagehands that usually worked the same concerts or worked different tours. And I just started accumulating backstage passes and picks and autographs just because I was in the right place at the right time. And that really spawned the whole collecting bug with me. So let's talk about, okay, current day, you're getting into the field of NFTs. Okay, now NFT, you know, to the collecting world, music collecting world, it's the new frontier, really, right? There are those that are embracing it, those who are skeptical. Um, it's like anything else, right? So tell, yeah. talk about how you got introduced to it and how, um, should I say, you've embraced it. Well, I got introduced to it through one of my other companies that's exploring the viability of creating a personalized community conduit to sell to a bank. And when we started going into delving into what they call FinTech, that's when we started seeing the cryptocurrency type transactions and the different currencies that were being created. That was really the spark that started it. The NFTs, I really didn't know much about until I read an article about NBA Top Shop, where they were taking certain basketball cards and videos of certain dunks and different one-of-a-kind type experiences and selling them as NFTs. And when I started looking at NFTs, I realized that there were some common denominators to the remnants of my Led Zeppelin tickets that fit. Most importantly was my authenticity and provenance with the tickets. And the second part was scarcity. 
a big part of the NFT boom is because most of the things being sold are one of a kind. And when you're given a digital token, it's for a one-of-a-kind unique item. And that really spawned the interest, and that's why I pursued it, and we got to this point. Now, you, so you're selling what you would be called bundled NFTs. That's selling the actual physical item with a digital one-of-a-kind token, the NFT, that uh, basically confers that you have the ownership. It's like a COA, and it's a secure one. Um, you know, because you get a COA that's on paper, you wonder how, if it's counterfeit or, you know, maybe the... Well, that was why I thought that in this particular project, I was the one that needed to go forth with it. Because that's why we took the time and the expense to put the video on the website. And if you look at the descriptive text that we put with each ticket offering, we tried to explain in detail the background behind it. One of the things that's very important to me, you talk about certificate of authenticity, that's correct. The digital token also is your certificate of authenticity. Exactly. Because when you mint it, you've got to put an explanation as to what it is and you have to categorize it. And what we chose to do was insert security protocols into the thread so that no matter where that token goes, we know we issued it. So the buyer that has it is secure in knowing that. And we're selling the physical ticket with it to ensure that that one-of-a-kind item resides with them, not only in the physical world, but in the digital world. Well, let's talk about the item. <clears throat> it's about the concert. You call it the concert that was not to be. And it's basically about four shows, right, that were the, supposed to be at the Chicago Stadium in 1980. Right. And unfortunately, Bonham passed away uh, in September. And you got your hands on thousands of tickets. How many thousands? 80,000. 80,000. Well, actually, a little less. It was 79,000 and some change. Of these four shows. That's pretty amazing. And you'll be selling... Uh, like I said, a bundled NFT with the physical ticket, one of the physical tickets and the actual NFT, which will be like a COA now. But you also don't you also frame it really nicely? Uh, yes. The items that we're offering on the website are framed. Right. Some of the multiples with the rock poster, the classic rock poster, we didn't frame them. But if, if somebody was to buy the first minted NFTs, they would be getting framed items. I would be dealing with the people individually if they wanted to buy multiples or if we didn't have it framed up yet. We framed up most of them, but not all of them. But well, let's face it. If I, buy, if I get one of these, I want to have it framed on my wall, too. Well, I, a, big, a, a big part of the framing in regards to the ticket sets had to do with condition. We didn't go to PSA DNA and get them graded um, because they really weren't publicly circulated. It wasn't as if the tickets were sold and somebody had a ticket stub or something. I had control of the entire inventory. So they weren't handled. So we felt that in order to ensure the condition, we would frame everything, which is why the tickets are all framed. Talk about how you got these tickets. Um, you know, obviously you had the connections since you were a ticket broker, right? Right, that's correct. So how, how did that come to be? Well, it was funny. You know, the day that Bonham died, which was September 25th, 1980 to be exact, 
we were pumped because we knew we were going to grab a bunch of tickets out of the box office. It was a mail order. We had all kinds of inside angles we were playing. We knew it was going to be a huge payday. So when the Tribune was released at 10 o'clock the night prior, it was mobbed. As a matter of fact, there's a picture of that uh, truck, the first truck of Tribune papers that was printed at 10 o'clock the night before, being mobbed by people outside of Tribune Tower so they could get their money orders into the first mail. Chicago Stadium zip code was 60601. It's right on West Madison, right to the west of the loop. So the downtown post office would have done the sort and then delivered the, the, the mail to the stadium. So when I heard the next morning that Bonham had passed, I actually called the box office hotline, 312-421-3785. I still remember it. And, and I called my friend Frank in the box office. I go, Frank, I go, you know, you've got all these tickets you got to sell. The drummer just died. And he goes, Dean, relax, man. You know, the, who had the same problem and they released him. The, you know, they replaced him. They'll the find another drummer. I'm like, Frank, I don't think so. He goes, well, I got three, I got three mail trucks of money orders in the gate three and a half parking lot. He said, so I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to start processing tickets. I'll talk to you later. This was 10 o'clock in the morning. They don't open till noon. Okay. But I had the hotline. Well, I didn't call him back, obviously, because he was pretty cranky. I called him back about three o'clock when I realized that Weintraub and Concerts West, who was the promoter, put a freeze on everything in the Chicago market. They had put tickets on sale for the 1980 US tour prior in other cities. The November dates at the stadium were the last dates of the first leg of the US tour. So when I called Frank back, he goes, we don't know what we're doing. And that was that. It was the next day I went down to the box office and said, you know, hey, what are you doing with all these tickets? because they're all pre-printed. I mean, it was a mail order. They didn't print them up on a computer. They were done by a printer. He goes, I don't know. I said, well, I want these tickets. And he looked at me, he goes, for what? What are you going to use them for? Are you going to line a birdcage with them? Use them as wallpaper? What are you doing? I go, listen, I think there's value in them. I said, I think Zeppelin is a really strong band. And I said, this is historical. The drummer died. I mean, I don't think they're getting back together. Well, push came to shove. I finally got him to convince the people that own the stadium which at the time was Arthur Wirtz, I said, look, I need to get to Mr. Wirtz because he owns the stadium. I need to know who owns these tickets and I need to know how I can prove they're real. And that started the chain of events that culminated in me meeting Mr. Arthur Wirtz on the 1st of November, 1981. And he actually said that I got stiffed on the tickets, Zeppelin never paid us. They didn't pay us for the newspaper ad. They didn't pay us for the ticket printing. They didn't pay us for the rent of the stadium. He says, they're mine, and you and I are partners, to which I was stunned because I had no idea what I was walking into. I'm 26 years old. This is the Duke of Deals, 80 years old, looking at me saying, yeah, we're partners. <laughs> and my box office connection is standing in the office with us at the stadium while this is going down. So the next day, they took the six boxes of cardboard that were the tickets and stashed them in a sub-basement three stories down in the stadium until they could get to Mr. Wirtz and figure out how they wanted to do it. And then we were going to do the contracts and everything else. Well, the bottom line was that he had a stroke three weeks after our meeting. And if you want to look on the website under the classic rock poster section, you'll see a link to the actual ticket to the time I went to see him. There was a ticket stub. It was a hockey game for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So after he had the stroke, the deal kind of got into like limbo within the, the operation. And Mr. William Wirtz, who was his son, took over. 
And I sent him periodicals and correspondence and calls for the next four and a half years. Until finally in 1986, I was able to get through and I got a response from Stadium Corp. And Mr. Williams said, I will honor my father's word. I will sell you the tickets, but we're not partners. Just give me $9,000, which covers the cost of the ad and the printing of the tickets, which I did. And I took possession on the 23rd of uh, December, 1986. Wow, what a story. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> There's some paperwork in the artwork. When you look on the website under the artwork section, you'll see some of my correspondence. I actually, one of the other things most people don't know, Pat, is that we tried to go for the entire tour. When I met with Mr. Wirtz in November of 1981, he was the president of the NHL Board of Governors, and most of the tour was in hockey arenas that I referenced earlier. Mm. So I said to him, I go, why don't we try to get them all? You know, that's like 250,000 tickets. There was Detroit, Philadelphia, Buffalo. I can't remember the other dates, but we tried to do that, but we were too late. And to this day, to this day, 2022, for the US, for the Led Zeppelin US tour in 1980, the only other tickets that have surfaced on eBay, and you know that if anybody had them, they'd be on eBay, were from Detroit, which was October 30th, and from Largo, Maryland, but we have questions whether that ticket's legit or not. It might be, but I haven't seen any other tickets for that tour for Zeppelin from 1980. Wow. So we, we missed the boat there. I mean, we should have had 250,000 of them, but, you know, because Mr. Words could have picked up the phone, they'd have sent them to us. Here, get them out of here, you know. I mean, <laughs> but I didn't get to them quick enough. If I could have got to them sooner, I got to them almost a year later or more than a year later, we would have been able to pull it off. But just having the foresight, you know, to think that collectors would really want this, like you said, the other guy that you talked to thought, what are you going to line your birdcage with them, bottom of your birdcage? You had the foresight to know that Led Zeppelin was a legacy band and that people were really going to want this in the future as memorabilia. Well, the, the key to it was the provenance, you know. You've got to understand that everything that's sold that's a collectible has to have provenance for it to have value. And, and one of the biggest things with me, a different part of the story we didn't go into is the Chicago Classic Rock Book. In the interim, from the time that I talked to the box office and corralled the inventory safely before Mr. Wirtz caught up to me to cut the deal because he owned everything and nobody would do anything without his approval. I wrote the classic rock book. On the website, you'll see it as the um, classic rock poster. And I went to Frank at the stadium. I go, Frank, give me one of those front row tickets. Let me put it on the cover of this book. And that really helped me getting to Mr. Wirtz. When he saw that, whoever gave it to him, I gave it to the box office. I said, pass this along to Stadium Corp, which they did. And that got Mr. Wirtz's interest. So that's kind of a sidebar to it that I didn't even mention earlier. Hmm. Now, in the meantime, these these tickets have been in storage, correct? <laughs> well, they were in storage for six years until I took possession of them, and then I got them all. Okay. I had six boxes. I had every ticket. They, there was only one box. Well, actually, two boxes were open because Frank had to find the stack of main floors where the front rows were. And if you look at the if you look at the cover of the Chicago Classic Rock Book, which is why I included the posters in this incarnation of all these tickets I've got you'll see a front row ticket right on the front cover. 
And up to that point, nobody had never seen it. I mean, they'd never sent them out. They sent all the money back. Yeah. So well, you said, well, because you said that they were in storage in the basement of the, the concert stadium, which is right. Yeah, until the, yeah, because they 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 saved them for me, but I they had to get approval from Mr. Words to release them. Right, right. So now let's talk about NFTs a little bit. You know, people have embraced them, uh, the the concept of NFTs. Others are skeptical. Obviously, you've embraced it. Now, the, some of the negativity is towards. You know, it's hurting the environment because the blockchain um, is using so much electricity, so much power. I heard that is changing now. I heard that uh, they're going to change. The method is going to use less electricity in the future, and that could be coming soon. So environmentalists won't have to worry as much. Correct? I, yes, that's true. Um, a company called XRP, which owns Ripple which is a cross-border payment system that's embroiled in a lawsuit right now with the SEC. The president, his name is Brad Garlinghouse, I believe. He was at Davos, which was just happening in Switzerland, where all the world leaders get together in kibitz. And he was talking about that very thing, that they were going to be making a commitment into the technology that's going to address the carbon uh, consumption of Bitcoin and blockchain uh, generation. So yeah, you're right. I think NFTs are here to stay. I think right now it's in a very like unusual stage. I mean, there's a lot of hype on it, but there's also a lot of fraud and they haven't really addressed a lot of the fraud in regards to the platforms. One of the reasons we decided, or one of the many reasons we decided to go with a more traditional sale, i.e. we want you to wire money to us. We're not doing crypto. You can't pay me in crypto. You pay me in cash and you pay me wire transfer bank to bank. There's a reason we did that. We did it because I want to know who you are. You know, these impersonal platforms that are dealing in digital currencies and digital tokens and, and unique identifiers and digital identities that can be scammed. I want to know who you are because I'm selling you a physical incarnation of the NFT. I got to ship it somewhere physically. So A, I got to know who you are from an address standpoint, which the banks will do because a wire transfer, you got to fill out a form to do it. And they got to know who you are, either with an account or with an ID. And because of the fact that when the money comes to me, it's secure. You know what you're buying, you know what you're getting, and you know what you're paying for it. A lot. The other reason I went against crypto was because of the uncertainty of what they call value. The IRS has already contacted the accountants because we own a company called Metro Tax, so I have a lot of information on taxes as well. And the accountants are being told by the IRS that people need to tally what their crypto purchases are. You know, if they're buying, you know, crypto to hold it or if they're trying to buy it and sell it, whatever. That's a tricky deal, Pat, because you don't know what it's worth. It, it goes up and down in a day. It's very volatile. Mm. So we felt that if you're going to make an investment with us and you're making an investment, we're selling investment grade memorabilia here. You want to know what your cost of goods sold are if you choose to resell it. And that was the other reason we stayed away from crypto. But what we're going to do with our NFTs is we're going digital wallet to digital wallet. We're going to mint them on Minable. And there's going to be a group that houses the actual digital image. 
but the actual image is not on the blockchain. The only thing you're going to be getting in the digital wallet will be the identifier that gives you the right and ownership of that image. Hmm. If that makes sense. Yes. Now, you got, you know, Led Zeppelin fans or probably mega fans who are listening to this right now are excited and okay, what, what do I do next? Go, okay, go to rock-expo.com. What, what you have to do is call me or email me. Oh, Remember, okay. Steve, this, there's no online payment that you, that's allowed. You got to talk to me. I want to know who you are. I want you to ask me questions. I want you to be secure in knowing that I am who I say. When you look at the website, you'll see that we put all our corporation papers up there that were, you know, I mean, I just renewed the corporation in May. I put up all that paperwork. So anybody right. looking at it, if and I'm sure you saw the ads from Goldmine that go back 35 years. Yep. So you can see I've got credibility and provenance in the industry. You need to know that before you spend the money, because I treated it like if I was buying it, if I was buying the memorabilia and I do own some memorabilia. I certainly would want to have that same provenance and transparency. So we try to look at it that way, even though we know it's a new deal. And we know that a lot of the people that may be listening to this are really not acclimated to the nature of, of NFTs. Certainly, hopefully this discussion and what we put on the website will enlighten them enough to feel comfortable in making a purchase. I think so. Okay, so give me the information then if someone wants to contact you. They can contact me at my email, which is commander at metropulse.com. It's M-E-T-R-O-P-U-L-S-E.com. Or you can call me area code 312-520-0204. In the meantime, if you do want to check out the ticket, I mean, it's pretty cool looking, right? And I'm sure you're going to get a lot of people asking questions about, you know, uh, there are four dates, right? Yes. What are, the, four dates. what are the four dates? It, it was November 10th, the 12th, the 13th, and the 15th, 1980. Okay. And then if I want to buy tickets, what comes first? The best seats uh, available, like a ticket for the best seat? Well, and actually, the way, see, I don't have a lot of, see, I don't have a lot of quantity on these. What the whole idea was with this NFT offering was I had remnants of the best stuff. Like, okay. for example, there's a super deluxe box set that features an aisle box of which they only printed 64 a night. OK, so there's only there's less than 300 of those tickets in the entire inventory. Mm -hmm. And I only made 40 sets of all the tickets, including the aisle box. The main floors, I have nine main floor tickets that I'm making available out of 182 out of 80,000. Gotcha. You know, I mean, so what I've got is the creme de la creme of the inventory and the provenance to back it up. And that's wow. all I got. So it's not like they can come in and pick and choose. It is what I've got. I, whatever is on there is what I've got. And then I'm done. I don't have anything else. I'm in possession of just those tickets. Now, I noticed something on your website about a Guinness, Guinness World Record that you've earned. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's, yeah. Well, basically, I was, back in 2009, I was recovering from cancer. And I was sitting back and somebody who was talking to me said, you know, Michael, I don't think there's anybody that ever bought 80,000 tickets to a concert that never happened. You want to explore, maybe you'll get a Guinness World Record out of it. And at first I was really recalcitrant. I thought, oh, come on. I, you know. 
But then after a while, I thought, well, why not? You know, so I went online and I went through the prompts and, and lo and behold, they decided that it was worthy of a Guinness World Record. They asked me for the check to prove that I bought them. They wanted to know, they wanted to see the ticket manifest. I mean, they were very thorough in their research and due diligence and assessing the fact that I legitimately did buy the tickets and they issued me a Guinness World Record. But ironically, they wouldn't give me a record for selling them all. And I honestly do not know why. I submitted the form, they rejected it. They said, we don't feel like giving you an award for selling all these tickets, even though they gave me an award for buying them. <laughs> so I have no idea what they're thinking, but yeah, that's the story of the Guinness World Record. Well, I don't, I'm not sure if they still publish the books. They probably have it online, but you'll be listed, I guess. Yeah, I've got a, I've had, if you look at the video, you'll see the award they gave me. I actually do have an award that, that says, you know, it's got a seal yes, on it and everything. That. Yeah, and then, you know, giving me, so I mean, I can hang it up on the wall, you know. And to see that video again, go to rock-expo.com. Right. Right. So tell me how it's going so far. When can I, okay, so I'm a Led Zeppelin fan. Can I buy it right now? Can I call you? I'm excited. You could buy me. You, you could you could buy it right now. I would <laughs> encourage you to call me. See, the way we do it is you have to call me and I have to generate an invoice. The invoice will be generated to the email that you give me. And then the instructions will be on there. Then you got to go to your bank and you got to do the wire transfer. First, you got to make sure I still got the tickets, whatever you want. You got to tell okay. me what you want. Once I give you the verbal okay that I'm holding that for you, which I put those terms in the, in, in the buyer's guide in regards to what we will accept in our terms, then you, do, you go to the bank, you wire transfer me the money, I get the money, then at that point, I, ver I call you again, and we insert some security protocols in the, let's say, the transaction. We're going to probably add some sort of an identifier in the thread and I'm probably going to give you a security code that before I send everything out and re-verify that we're going to the right wallet and the right address, you're going to have to tell me to make sure I'm talking to the right person. And then at that point, we send you your stuff and transfer over the uh, token to your wallet. And one of thing course. I do want to note that I was told this morning that I didn't, or I wasn't aware of, that you need to be sure that the digital wallet you have accommodates NFTs. Hmm. Some digital wallets don't. So I need to be sure that people that are interested in buying these know that and make sure their digital wallets accommodate an NFT. Now next, isn't it broken down in different prices, how much you'll be charging? Right, yeah, they're all different prices. We tried to come up with a median price per ticket. And Pat, it was difficult because I sat back and I looked at the outrageous money that was being paid in crypto for some, for some, for some memorabilia. Mm. And, you know, when you're talking about a currency that vacillates in value dramatically, it's hard to assess a value on a ticket that you're selling cash going into a digital realm. So I had to sit back and say, okay, what would these tickets be worth as an investment down the line? And like, if somebody said, okay, Michael, we're gonna buy a ticket from you, put it in our wallet, and we're gonna go and sell it for crypto for $20 million, you might be able to do that. Somebody may do that because the whole thing about NFTs is the one-of-a-kind scarcity of them. And these tickets fit that mantra perfectly. So everything about the tickets fits the one-of-a-kind scarcity angle. So that's why NFT collectors, I would think, would embrace it. But ironically, the NFT collectors don't want physical items. They just want the image. 
But I felt that from a security standpoint, not only from my place and from the buyer, I wanted to give you both. See, for our readers, it's the probably the other way around. They want the physical item, but they want the NFT as a sort of a certification that it's, you know, a COA rather, that it's the real deal and, you know, it's secure. And also like with a lot of NFTs that are being, you know, if you look at these auction houses or other sellers of NFTs that's in the music collecting space, um, if you do buy something that's uh, an NFT token, you also become part of some sort of like sort of VIP club where, you know, I'll get these, these ongoing deals or coupons or, you know, stuff like that. Would, would that happen here? Would there be we've something? Discussed that we've, di we've discussed it, but because I don't have that much quantity, it, it doesn't right. serve its purpose. Um, if I had more of a quantity that I held back when I sold the company back in 2017, I would have explored that. And, you know, whoever's listening to this, today is May 31st. On June 13th, Julian's, to reference what you just said, is selling the Ringo um, NFTs, which incorporate exactly what you talked about. There's going to be a Ringo land. There's going to be a limited amount of artwork and, and different things. You could look up the Julian's website. Yep. or Google it and see for yourself. And he's doing what you just suggested. Right. I'm not going to do it just because I just, I don't have the quantity. It doesn't make right. sense. Right. Now, the question also is, did you think of selling these tickets before using an auction house like Julian's or Heritage before the NFT boom or the, before they- I didn't, boom, I frankly, when we started doing the artwork a year ago, None yeah. of the auction houses had embraced it. And then last fall, Sotheby's put their toe in the water and started to try to sell NFTs and they failed miserably. Um, Julian's with Ringo is the first one I've seen. You know, As a subscriber to Goldmine, I don't see any NFT ads for the uh, auction houses that advertise on a pretty regular basis. Um, yeah. You know, Heritage and it's only uh, gotta have it. And I can't yeah. remember a few of the others that I see pretty much every issue. Yeah, but those, I don't those, see uh, them selling them. So I, I didn't feel that they were, you know, viable entity. Mm. So I think the key here is to, um, to actually speak to you. Um, you could go to rock-expo.com, but you want people to actually, you want to have a conversation with them so you can make sure you can answer all their questions. Absolutely. And I feel that it's very important in this embryonic stage of NFTs, especially in the collectible space, that the people, you know, I, I don't like impersonal sellers personally. And again, I come back to what I would do if it was me and what I would like to see from a person that is offering something I'm going to give them thousands of dollars for. I want to know where it's going. I want to know who this guy is. I want to know that I'm comfortable doing business with him. And that's why we opted to just keep it hands on old school and just, you know, you talk to me, I'll generate the invoice we agreed upon and things and all through the process all through the buying process there'll be security protocols introduced that will ensure not only me being protected in in sending out the token to the right wallet and sending out the physical ticket to the right address but the buyer can feel secure in knowing that he's dealing with the right person it's a win-win for everybody so what would be okay so i'm interested as a led zeppelin fan 
how much uh, money should I have saved for this? <laughs> Give me a ballpark. We, what we tried to do, well, there's items we've got anywhere from $3,500 to $20,000. Right. Okay. I mean, and then we wanted $35,000 for the super deluxe, but there's only 40 of those sets on the planet. And I don't know how many of them even exist anymore. Right. We did that set tw uh, to, in 2005 for the 25th anniversary. So, you know, if you're looking at a rarity standpoint, you know, we tried to value the tickets anywhere between twenty-five dollars to $4,000 a piece in that we felt that the main floors would have more of a value, the more rarer seating locations would have a better value because of their rarity and scarcity in the actual inventory. And that's kind of the only way that we could really do it and try to put a cash value on it. I think that if they were to be sold as digital assets, their value would be a lot more. And seeing a Zeppelin is just the monster band that it is. You couldn't have really asked for a better band to be able to do this with. And as a well, sidebar, you know, look at the Marilyn Monroe painting that was sold. It was an Andy Warhol Marilyn Monroe painting that was sold like in the last month and a half for $150 million, which is a lion's share more than any Andy Warhol had ever sold prior to that. And the point being made in some of the reviews I've read on that sale was that Marilyn Monroe is culture. And, and you know, Zeppelin is culture. And, okay. and I think that that investing in Zeppelin, which actually in all their memorabilia, all their memorabilia has gone up in value, everything. As a matter of fact, I talked to a really, um, advanced collector, a dear friend of mine this morning, and here's some stats that might blow your mind. Do you know how much a shadow box of John Bonham's drumstick sold for recently? I, I, tell me, I can only imagine. $23,000. Yeah, that's, that's, that actually is uh, lower than I would have, I expected. Do you remember the Amber drum set that Jason Bonham played in the song Remains the Same yeah. movie? You remember that? Mm -hmm. They just sold that this week. Take a guess what that went for. I was going to say towards 100K. You're close, 106,000. Yeah. And I don't know if that included the fees or not. There's other things that have sold. All these uh, concert posters have gone up in value. Um, T-shirts are anywhere from 1,000 to 2,500, depending on what year and what condition. It, it's I, I, just amazing. They just yeah. they don't go down in value. Well, you um, don't have to surprise me. I'm a Zeppelin fan. And I got to say, I'm surprised Jimmy hasn't contacted you. <laughs> they know who I am. Make no mistake. When I was, when I was, we were, we toured with Paige Plant in 98. You know, we yeah. had the road in 95 and 98. And in 98, I made a big mistake. We went down to Indianapolis and it was right after the Bulls had knocked out the Pacers in the playoffs. And Page and Plant were playing the Canseco Fieldhouse, which is what it was called back then. And I was working a promotion with an Indianapolis radio station where they were giving away the tickets. Um, I, was, I gave them like 10 tickets for giveaway. We traded for some airplay. And I'm walking through the parking lot and I didn't know these coppers were, had me on binoculars, but I didn't sell any tickets but I went to a van with a bunch of really hot looking chicks and I gave them a few of the tickets and they roasted me and confiscated all of the tickets I had in the trunk, which was maybe a hundred because I didn't know if the station wanted more of them or what, because it was actually the radio station van. 
bottom line is years later, a friend of mine that worked for Liquid Blue, which was a big manufacturer of merchandise for bands, told me the story, never knowing that it was me that got yanked. And he told me about how the Page Plant people confiscated all the tickets and showed them to Jimmy. So I know he knows about it. I know it. And as a matter of fact, I met Robert Plant at Pine Knob in Detroit in 1988, and he actually autographed some of them as he called them bootleg at the table. <laughs> so they know all about them, no doubt about it. Well, this is actually, this might appeal to collectors more since an auction is kind of impersonal, where this is kind of like they, a collector calls you up and they could kind of negotiate with you, right? Absolutely. And, you know, you got to understand something, Pat. You make a really good point about impersonal. You know, I take these tickets personal. This is my life. I yeah. mean, I put 30 years into this. So I, I take a real pride and I take a real honor in making sure that these last vestiges of the remnants of this project in my life go to the right place. And they understand why I'm charging what I am and what they're getting for it. So yeah, yeah, it's it's a very personal um it's a very personal, let's say close to home type selling technique. Because once I'm gone with them, I'm gone with them. I don't have any more. And we'll mm. be moving on to the next project. And I have other businesses I do. So this obviously isn't the only thing I do. So right. in fact, that five-minute story you told is a article in itself for this podcast episode about how this all originated. Um, it's a good good story uh, that collectors would just want to hear. So well, anyway, the best of luck to you. If, it, if it's a good omen, it's, uh, you know, it's John Bonham's birthday today at the time we're, we're actually speaking here and recording this podcast episode. So may that be some luck to you. Hey, let's hope so. You know, so, <laughs> yeah, thanks again. You know, thanks again for all your support. And, you know, I'm glad to be back in Goldmine after so many years. Yep. And, you know, I, I just noticed as I was going through, because I was going through my older issues to see if I, if I missed an ad with one of the auction houses selling NFTs. So if you asked me that, I could answer it intelligently, and I didn't see anything. But what I did see is the upgrade in the magazine from August to October of last year. Yes. You know, and I thought, well, it, I, I mean, I noted it when it came, but it was, I was reminded of it as I was going through the issues, like, wow. I mean, your company is really putting effort into making a really dynamic product. And I give you kudos for that. That's, you know, we have a That's one of the reasons I, was, company. I yeah. was excited to advertise in it, you know? Yeah. Project M. They also own the, mag, the publications Revolver, uh, Inked, uh, Brooklyn Vegan Site, uh, The Hard Times, and Metal Edge. So, yeah, they, they're music-centric, which is very good. Um, we're the, basically the collectibles, uh, part of it. Um, but, uh, you know, as collectibles go, we cover a lot of genres. So, but basically it stays within the realm of classic artists because those are the most collectible. Well, I've seen, I've seen Zeppelin articles where you did the 45 picture sleeves. I saw Robert yeah. on the cover recently. I mean, so certainly Zeppelin's part of your editorial, uh, Oh focus. Yeah. Oh, big time. I mean, you know, 
I love that article on the Zeppelin 45s because I did too. That's why I noted it. I thought, wow, that was, I turned the page. I'm like, whoa, what's this? <laughs> because a lot of fans don't, uh, I don't think a lot of fans think of Zeppelin as putting out singles, right? They're, they only maybe can name one, which is well, uh, right. probably well, they, immigrant they, song. You um, know, that's, that's a really good point because that's why their memorabilia is so valuable. Yeah. Because they snubbed their noses at Atlantic all through the years because they didn't care. They were an album band. They weren't a 45 band. That's very true. And and they made, and after Zozo, which arguably was their greatest album, even though Physical Graffiti is my personal favorite. Yes. But uh, certainly after Zozo, they could, you know, I mean, that's when the Monster Tour started. I can remember talking to somebody that worked for Shoko, which was owned by Jerry Weintraub. And ironically, Mr. Wirtz had financial dealings with Mr. Weintraub during the day. And they, because Mr. Weintraub mentioned him in his biography. And one of the interesting things was that the Zeppelin tour of 1973 spawned the arena craze of the 70s. It wasn't until Zeppelin came and trailblazed it that the actual groups like Queen and Jethro Tull and The Who and some of those other great bands of the 70s were able to do arena tours. And that's why they call it the Houses of the Holy. Well, you know, I missed out on that, unfortunately. And because I'm younger than I, I didn't get a chance to see any of the 70s concerts. <laughs> you know, those are my favorite bands. Um, but, you know, that's why maybe I'm a collector, because that's my way of kind of uh, being part of the experience. If it makes you feel any better, those of us that did go to the concerts don't remember much about them. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a two-edged sword. <laughs> you didn't go, okay, at least you got videos and stuff out there. Us, we went, we don't remember a thing. <laughs> Maybe the musicians don't either. I mean, you know. <laughs> we were all in such an altered conscious state in the 70s that... Um, yes. You know, we kind of went through life in a cloud, I think. Um, but certainly it was the best times of my life. Although I think the best times of my life were ahead of me. But still, those were great days. Some of the and, best. Uh, I saw Zeppelin seven times. So, I mean, I, you know, I certainly can speak from a position God, of credibility. I am jealous. But uh, thank you, Michael, so much. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll be talking to you soon. I know I will. And, um Listeners, we'll be right back after this message. Hey, I'm Ronald Webb, and this is Patrick Prince. And together we host the Goldmine Radio Hour, the show that features the latest issue of Goldmine, the music collector's magazine. Tune in Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on CygnusRadio.com. Okay, thank you, Michael Dean of Rock Expo. That's rock Dash expo.com okay goldmine listeners don't forget to go to goldminemag.com for exclusive content and also check out shop.goldminemag.com for exclusive collectibles and also unique vinyl and then look on the newsstands at barnes and noble and books a million for instance their select stores to get the latest print edition of Goldmine. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Goldmine Podcast. Turn it on.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 